And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm going to keep this introduction short because I want to be able to spend uh, as much time with our guest as possible. The guest is Tim Hurley. I first heard of him uh, through a sketch on SNL uh, that starred Farley, Sandler, and Emilio Estevez. And it's one of my favorite sketches of all time. It's called The Hurley Boy. If you don't know it, just put this down and go to YouTube and watch The Hurley Boy, or Hulu, I guess, for SNL sketches. Uh, it's hilarious. And Hurley, he will swear, I think, when he gets here, that it had nothing to do with him, uh, that those guys, um, even though he was SNL's head writer, he says that that, that sketch is not based on him, has nothing to do with him. Uh, I don't think that's true, and I think he tried to convince someone uh, to give their uh, grandmother a bath, like the character does. His uh, Hurley's rise in Hollywood to become uh, one of the one of the you know most successful and, and well known comedy writers is uh, not a typical one. Uh, he'll walk us through it, but he was a, a lawyer. I don't think he contemplated a career doing this or thought it was realistic, and yet he's become someone who's written movies. Uh, that have made all of us laugh for a long time. So he'll be here soon. We'll talk about uh, how he got where he got. We'll talk about Sandler. We'll talk about the Hurley boy. And uh, it'll all happen as soon as he gets here. Thanks for listening. Be back soon. All right, Hurley, he's here. Hey, man. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Get a little closer to the mic. I will. Okay, good. Feels good. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. You drove in from uh, how far away do you force yourself to I, I took the uh, train from Connecticut. From Ridgefield, Connecticut. How, how long did it take you to get here? It took me, uh, I drove over to Katona, took the train down, and uh, that was like about an hour and 15. I was going to go to the Met game today and get, uh, you know, have a few beers and get, you know, in the storytelling mode. Yeah, get exactly. Loose. But I accidentally sold my tickets on the way to the game. <laughs> it's right. crazy. I had them on stuff up. I forgot to take them off. Oh, is that I, really true? I sold my tickets, yeah. Oh, no, that's hilarious. Well, they're losing now, so it's, I'm glad it didn't. Met fans are the only thing more pathetic than Knicks fans. It is. Well, that's why, I mean, you and I have talked about the Knicks and the Nets thing, and I just feel like I'm a Met fan, I'm a Jets fan, so with basketball, I'm going to jump on whatever bandwagon I feel like. You know, I have enough pain in my life, <laughs> well, the Mets and Jets. Well, I mean, you live in New England, so you can justify being a Celtics fan if you want. Well, I'm, I'm about a mile from the New York border, so it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty, it's about half Red Sox, half Yankees. I don't know, a, a lot of, you know, bags who live uh, just over the line in Greenwich uh, can somehow claim New England status. You're you, you're further, so I think you count. Uh, slightly further, yes, but I will not. I will not attempt to claim it. No, I'm such a big Knicks fan. So just before we started, I, I I was asking you if I was right in saying that sort of like the moment of your life that was defining in lots of ways was talk about it. You you were a lawyer, right? Yeah. Well, I had you know um, Sandler was my college roommate. And so Adam, I, Sandler. Adam Sandler, yes. And uh, so I kind of went on a whole journey with him, but uh, in, a, in a hobby way. You know what I mean? I, when he first time he ever did stand up, I helped him out with some material. You know, uh, he'd go on the road, I helped him out with some more material. You know, he did the album, helped him with that. And when he got on Saturday Night Live, um, you know, I helped him, you know, in and, unofficially with sketches. And you were at that point a practicing lawyer. You'd gone to one of the best law schools, right? In the yeah, I went, to, I went to NYU undergrad, and then I worked for a year as an accountant at Mobile Oil. 
And then I went back to NYU Law School for three years. Oh, all the, while the stories you must have from the accounting days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Accounting was actually, that was pretty rock and roll, man. I think that was what? the wildest year of my life was an accountant. Really being in the oil business? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, Mobile Oil was a big account, obviously. So they had like a big, like, this was like almost the Mad Men era of, uh, you know, the... Uh, what, the like, 80, in the 80s? Yeah, like 89. And we, you know, we would just charge things up to Mobile Oil. Go to Ryan McFadden's on 42nd Street, run up $1,000 tabs, just go nuts. With the, wait, wait. With other accounts or with the guys? With other accountants, yeah. And you would just say you were working on their account? I don't even think you had to. You could just say, I, I'm not sure the, uh, I actually quit before the, and was, <laughs> the fallout. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it impressive to the sort of the working women who were in the thing that you guys uh, could charge as many $2 Michelobes well, as you wanted a lot to? of the working women could also charge the, the $2 Michelobes, so we kind of lost that advantage. But uh, oh. I, I had a blast. I went to Jamaica. It was, it was the most definitely rock and roll year of my life. How have you not written about it? <laughs> I mean, Man, you could start. That's such a vintage kind of character to start with. I'm waiting for the statute of limitations to run out on, fair, on fair some of the things we did. There. Well, I think because your story is, you know, people always ask, how do I get start? As though there's some sort of regular path to becoming a screenwriter. Right. I think yours is so interesting that we can build up to this moment that you decided to quit by going sort of through a more biographical thing and like so where did you grow up close to hollywood no 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 showbiz um no my dad was a uh, fireman in the bronx right and we grew up in uh, poughkeepsie new york so uh it was it was kind of cool because it was kind of a rural area that was turning suburban now it's all suburban but i kind of had the whole cows and pigs and chickens thing but also like kind of a suburban mall and little league existence too so it was kind of cool growing up there was a lot of your family in like fire police that kind of thing yeah you know my uncle jimmy was a cop and uh you know i think accountant was uh you know a couple of my uncles were accountants and uh somebody were from merrill lynch and so nobody thought i mean i don't want to but i mean was the idea of show business even in anybody's oh, no, head not even really being a lawyer was that was all that was already kind of out of the out of the realm what you mean too am, too ambitious or dreaming too big yeah maybe for sure yeah it was not something that was on my radar at all so when when you were a kid did when did you realize you were unusually funny i mean how did that what, like what when you're a kid you're going to school your family or you know in the what they call the irish trinity right fire police nursing or whatever <laughs> i mean what yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's a funny world. I mean, I mean, some of the funniest men I ever met, and were sure. at my, my dad's firehouse. I almost said funniest women too, just to be politically correct. But there were no women in my father's firehouse in, were. in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were funny and tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a funny world, and and I was definitely um, a fan. You know what I mean? I, I was definitely a comedy fan. Never thought that I would do anything in comedy, but loved it. You know, and took and took you know took care to know. You know who wrote stuff, which I mean, it sounds unbelievable that I had no aspirations to be a writer, but I was aware that someone had written the stuff. I was aware of who was the writers on Silent Live that Harold Ramis had written Caddyshack and you know uh, Animal House and all these stripes and these great movies that I loved. Right, and, you and I are the same age, so those movies were the formative movies for you. Yeah, those Bill Murray. Absolutely. Yeah. Before that, it was, I mean, I like to say, you know, I had, you know, like Jacques Tati or any of these like great 
the comedy, but it was all it was. Uh, uh, yeah, you would go to the, the revival houses to see Buster Keaton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was it was Gilligan's Island. Right, <laughs> you know, all that yeah. stuff. Sherwood Schwartz was your hero. Uh, exactly. No, it was all that stuff. It was really Mel Brooks was the only quality comedy I was getting. You know, before you before know, the Ramis stuff, which exactly. is quality. Before anyway, you looked at it. Yes, I mean, I, not to you know, I, I shouldn't because like Mary Tyler Moore, all that stuff was 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 brilliant in its way. But you would be aware of it. But when did you, when did you realize or how did like were you a cut up for your friends? What kind of school did you go to? Uh, public school. Yeah, it was not the class clown. I mean, I thought I was funny, but everybody thinks they're funny, you know. Uh, and uh, would you get from other people that you were funny? Would they say, "Oh, you got to meet Hurley. He's a funny guy." No, I mean, I, I, I really nobody wanted to meet me. Period. I was kind of alone. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> so that's important for the comedy career. Yes, that, that, that feeling anyway yes. is important. Yes, doctor. That, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, this can turn into Doctor Katz. But the the, the feeling that uh, nobody wanted to. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought I was funny, and I, you know, mumbled funny things, and nobody heard them, and and that was. Did you have a group of like cut up friends? Kinda, yeah. I had a little group I rolled with, and uh, and they thought I was funny, but I was never like Hurley. He's the funny one. I, I was, you know, the tall one, and I was the, you know, you were smart, one, and yeah. The was the... was being smart uh, like a good thing or a bad thing at your school? Um, it wasn't. You know, I mean, it's always better to be the athlete or be, you know. Uh, the the rich kid, you know, being smart is kind of maybe the third best thing you can be. But it's better than being dumb, sure. dumb and poor. <laughs> if you're and not those other yeah. yeah. Um. So who were the your buddies? Was one of them really funny? Um. You know, there was a guy. Uh, my best friend was real funny, and he we were in the Boy Scouts. So he was a year older than me, and we just, uh, uh, you know, we would crack each other up. You know. Like the, we went to this uh, Boy Scout like leadership training thing and it was a week. And the end of it, what you had to do was um, they gave this like so presentation, this very deep, soulful presentation. Like, and we all had to pick a hemlock branch and said, feel the hemlock between your fingers, and you know, like the ancient Indians right. did. And then put a piece of hemlock in your mouth. And and we just looked at each other. We were the only. There were fifty people here. We were the only one who knew like hemlock was like right. poison. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just started laughing, and they got so mad. So you would get. Uh... You were aware of sort of like the absurdity of things. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, being smart can be a curse sometimes in, in certain situations. I mean, not a curse, but, you know, it's it's you feel different. You feel, uh, you know, like like maybe you see a subtext that other people don't see. All right, and, you know, so you knew that about yourself at a young age, you think? I think so. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's really interesting to me that, uh, you know, to have that kind of thing of knowing because it's um, it's kind of unsettling. To know you're a, it's it's reassuring, but also unsettling to know you're a little different. Yeah, I mean, deep down, I mean, it's it's nice to be smart. It's, it really is. It's a gift to be, you know, to get the highest SAT score. You know, I just I felt cool, and it was the thing that made me a little special. You know, there was nothing else that was making me any special. So, how old were you? Do you think when that start you started to have that realization? I mean, SATs obviously were later, but where you started to realize where the, the it's you started to realize, hey, I'm, I'm brighter. I I can do something different than everybody than my you know. I might um, be able to achieve something different. Did you start to manifest that at a young? yeah? I think like maybe sixth, seventh grade really? started to feel you know like 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 maybe uh, you know everybody thinks they're special. I mean I don't know maybe everybody doesn't think they're special. I always thought everybody thought they were special because I definitely thought I was special back in right. You thought that you were going to be able to find your way out of like into a different life. Whatever I was wanted to be, I dreamed of being. You know when I. When I wanted to be a business guy, I dreamed of being Donald Trump. You know, I want, I, and you know, sometimes those dreams, like it, it become, 
it goes from a dream to a plan, you know, and like thinks this could actually happen. You know, I'm a smart guy. You know, I can figure this out. You know, Donald Trump doesn't seem that smart. I can I can figure <laughs> that's, out all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. And uh, he came up actually. Trump went, came up to a friend of mine at a, a party recently, and he a very bright friend of mine, and and, and Trump said to him. You know, it's rare that I'm in a room with someone smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hand it to him. I mean, he's, he's been around forever, though. Man. My buddy looked at him and said, let's go walk around the block. I'll show you 500 people. <laughs> but uh, so, OK, so you would dream big. But the comedy thing and being funny wasn't a part of it yet at seventh grade. You, you didn't even allow that. That wasn't a reality. Of all the dreams I had, you know, I had dreams to do different things in my life. And at, at one point, my dream was to be the district attorney of Suffolk County. And this was like five years of my life because I wanted to live in the Hamptons and solve crimes and be the district attorney of Suffolk County. And this was a, that's a very specific dream. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, you start figuring you got to kind of narrow it down a little bit. I, I think that's like a companion show to the one that's starring Campbell Scott on <laughs> USA. <laughs> Suffolk County DA. How should work on that? Yeah, I think you should. Uh, I think you, you got to have a dog, a very special dog. <laughs> I think. That can you fly. run on the well, no, you run on the beach with the dog. Oh yeah, for sure. In the mornings. Yeah, I know. I, I think actually the DA's office is in Riverhead though. I learned that like you can't actually be in the Hamptons. So did that kill the dream? Did that kill the dream? Yeah. It definitely tamped it down a little bit, that's for sure. All right. So that was your dream through like what, junior high? Um Yeah, I guess I guess at a certain point in high school I decided I wanted to, to go to Wall Street. And did you at that time did you do plays in school? Did you Nothing. make movies with your friends? I made fun of the people who did the play. You did? Yes. How would you make fun of them? I wasn't hard to make fun of. <laughs> They're pretty goofy. There was like the whole glee aspect was even, you know, 30 years ago was basically the same thing. Did like, you play sports? Uh, no. So you were just caught up uh, about the people who were actually putting it out there. Exactly. I wasn't a sports guy. I wasn't a druggie. Uh, I just kind of was, was with my two friends in the back uh, making fun of the everybody else. You were like the guys in the movie Diner. Exactly. You're like the diner guys, like yeah. Reiser and Gutenberg. Slightly lamer and less well-dressed. And, sure. and couldn't afford to go to the diner. But other than that, <laughs> you were like those <laughs> that, guys. Was, that was me. So the theater guys, you felt no kinship with them? Nope. And no sense of like, oh, that's my, you know, my, beyond those footlights, that's my destiny? Nah, I mean, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the uh, uh, drama kids, their their parents were professors at Vassar. I don't know why sure. we live, Vassar's right up there. So it was like sort of, like not the rich kids, but sort of the kids who listened to classical music and the kids who were in the band and there was something sort of elitist about them, but at the same time kind of goofy that you can make fun of. No, I love hearing this uh, because something that uh, I think about is, I mean, I had no idea that I would end up doing what I'm doing. I knew I'd be in entertainment somehow. I thought so, mostly. But... Um, there's this 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 notion that, and I think it's a very defeating notion for some kids. They think that the people who can go do it were somehow anointed at a young age. Do you agree with that? That that people think like, oh, that that guy was special. He, you know, he's an artist. I, I could never be an artist. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, you have people who dream too big. And sure. and there's people you want to say, hey, calm down, buddy. You know what I mean? And then there's other people like, you know, you could do so much better than this, buddy. You know, especially like, you know, like an Irish kid like me, you see a lot of like really funny, talented Irish. But there's something kind of like don't get that. too high and mighty about the Irish. And, and, you know, you see so many people. I always think that, you know, working Santa Live and, you know, there's guys in Iowa who, you know, work at the supermarket who are 10 times funnier. They just never, never had that that chance first of all i never went for it you know yeah you think there's something self-defeating or something uh, kind of a modesty there is i mean it's it's kind of i think it's 
tending the other way now. There's there's a lot of modestly talented people <laughs> who, who are are shocked that they're not. No, writing but you think there's an Irish American thing? I'm saying that is sort of like um, you're not supposed to want this or believe yes. you can exactly yes that you can. Uh, what, have pretensions. Yes, like to, to think that you're going to be the big guy. You know what I mean? To, you think you could dream that big. I mean, and, and I got to be honest, that's not something I got from my parents. It was just something that's sort of in the air. Well, why? What were your parents like about it? You know, they were very supportive. I don't know if they were just indulging me, but they thought I could do anything or they pretended to think that I could do anything that I set my mind to. I believed it, so that was good. That, so they did. They, 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 didn't, they didn't say to you, oh, um, you know, you should pursue show business somehow. They were more like... Oh, gosh, no. Like, do this. Yeah, I, I love the fact that, that not only did you take your... That this all caught you by surprise, actually, too, right? As it happened. Yeah. So you're, you, were, you were a huge fan of comedy, but it wasn't your ambition. Not at all. Not for many, many years. And you're in high school, and you're, that's in high school. What are you watching? What's turning you on? You know, from a comedic standpoint. You know, at that point, it was really ca- all about Caddyshack. You, would you quote it? Yeah. And and I, I, up until about 10 years ago, I thought I was the only guy who loved Caddyshack. And I thought it was just me and my friends loved Caddyshack and everybody else. Just did. your little group. Yeah, exactly. We were the only ones who discovered this And Stripes, gem. too? Or yeah. did you know people loved Stripes? Stripes was like the second, you know, it was like, you know, it was up there, you know. But, For me, but, Stripes first thing. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, the first hour of Stripes, I think, is perfect. Yes. It's hard. It's hard to argue with the first hour strike. Like it's you know, just it's every line, all the character beats, and then the whole story construction, and then they had no, never has a fall been so precipitous in a classic <laughs> movie, right? I like the what the all terrain vehicle. What is it? I mean, it's, yeah, that's really funny. And welcome to Italy, gentlemen, is one of the great yes moments ever. But you know, the first hours. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a fantastic movie. So you were all about Caddyshack. All about Caddyshack. Quoting that movie. You know, dressing like, the, you know, that was very much the lifestyle. When I get together with my friends, I would have a Hawaiian shirt, cigar, you oh, know, you on the golf course, dangerous. I had my putter. Yeah, I mean, that was just, that was sort of the way, like a cool kid in 1983, you know, kind of hung with his friends. It was like kind of like Bill Murray, kind of a very, you know, casual kind of louche kind of guy, you know? So did that, so Carl, Carl, Carl Spackler was your... Yes, for sure. Spackler? I mean, I think I've is that done... his last name? Yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, Carl Spangler. That was your was it Spangler? Spangler, Spangler, yes. Carl Spangler. So was that your guy? You know, it, it, or it changed. Field. I or went Dangerfield through. I went through the four phases. What are the four phases of Caddyshack? Well, you, you know, you had the Rodney phase, and you got the Murray phase, and then you have the brief Ted Knight phase, and right. you got the Chevy phase. Sure. And, and I went through all of them. So you would uh, all you know, uh, pond is be- pond's better for you. Yeah, exactly. You went through each the pool and the pond. I mean, you go through a long Murray phase. And then I think when I got to senior year, it was it was all about Rodney. Yeah, sure. And and the first my first beer I actually had was oh no yeah no first beer was uh, at a Rodney Dangerfield concert when he came to the Mid Hudson Civic Center. Oh, that's great! It was great. It was a it was a uh, Colt forty five. So did you have his albums? Yes. Were they important to you? Uh, yeah, Rapid Rodney. Yeah. Oh, uh, the older ones. And would you listen, so did you, like, sort of listen to them, uh, what else did you listen to? Rodney's and, and what other ones? Um, I, there was a Saturday Live album uh, that they did. Um, the like original a- cast. After National Lampoon? Yes. Did was... you have the White Album, the Lampoon White Album? I did not. Ah, see, I did. But 
because uh, you know I grew up closer to the city than you did. Still out in Long Island, <laughs> closer. But so, what was the Saturday Night Live album? It was like a collection of skits from I think I'm not sure if it was the first and second season or just the first. Um, and it was just you know the original cast on there, and I mean it was great. I mean it was you know. You always try to stay up for Santa Lai. That was a big thing in the 70s. You know, I was 12 yes. years old and trying to, and my parents would let me stay up, but I mean, I was, I was tired. You know, that and, was late. And, and when, you saw, when you saw Rodney, did it deliver everything you'd hoped? You know, he did, he did his thing, and then we left, and we got the Colt 45, and then we went back, and we snuck in for the second show, and he did the exact same show, and we felt kind of betrayed. Oh, you did? Bit. Yeah. Because like, you believed that he kind of came he up with it. He did it for us, yeah. It was, it was crazy. It, it was, we went in. And the opening act was John Sebastian. Sure, welcome back. Booed off the stage. Really? Booed off the stage just by people screaming, Rodney, and, and I, I'm ashamed to admit I probably was one of them. Um, and, you know, left mid-set. Mid <laughs> Rodney came on, did it, you know, killed. We just, we were in ecstasy. Went out, found us up in Colt 45, went in, started talking to Rodney's chauffeur. Like, what's Rodney like? Because there, there was a limo parked outside. And we're like, what's what is he? He goes, he's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. Um, and then we snuck back in and saw the... Did you guys ever, when you became successful, to jump for a second, did you ever get to hang with Rodney? Um, no, not me. I mean, he You've was... had friends who hung with him. Well, he was in one of my movies, in Little Nicky, right. so yeah. And, but and did you spend, did you... I was not, yeah, I wasn't on the set of Little Nicky, no. Right. Did they tell you the story of the, the lease with the pot? I mean, you know, he's famously got, like, the briefcase with all the stuff. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of jokes. He took it very serious, yeah. But I mean, he, he took the drug seriously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> but he was, a, he, he was, apparently, you know, the show for told me he was a nice guy. And then uh, later in life, I learned that, that that was true, that he was a very sweet, sweet guy. Right. But you were still disappointed. Nice guy, but you were disappointed. I was disappointed that, uh, he did the second, the exact same act for the second, like the same pauses, the same, oh, that's you know, a hard moment. Yeah. That's a hard moment when you realize that, um, that it's a show. Yeah. It's a real showbiz moment. It's like, oh, he does this he does he wasn't doing this just for me. This is uh this is his standard thing. This but was... but it didn't make you think of craft. It didn't make you sort of like appreciate, oh, there's this like level of craft. It was just like uh disappointing that it wasn't magic. Yeah. Exactly. The craft came later. But you yeah, it, I mean I wonder if it somehow feeds into your head of like, oh, this it demystifies it in a way that lets you think Somewhere, well, maybe this is something that... Oh, for sure. When it clicks in that this is not something I'm going to do as a consumer, but I'm going to be a generator of comedy, every lesson you've ever learned, sort of everything flips around and like, oh, okay. It okay. all fires in, you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this was your junior year of high school, probably? Um, maybe sophomore. Right. I think I saw that same tour at Radio City, maybe one year It later. was the cartoon Rodney on the shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Because that was when that album came out uh, about the guy with the ugly guy with the ugly wife and they had two very ugly kids. <laughs> I, I think that album was like right around then. I burned it out too. Um, so then you go off to college, still with the law dream? Uh, at, at that point, I had moved more to uh, like a business. It definitely was more in the Donald Trump uh, field then. I love it because you've sent up these kind of self-important people so many times in your movies. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, maybe it's subconscious that I don't. I mean, I never, I didn't have any sort of scarring experience with, you know. Uh, I love Wall Street guys. I love to hang out with Wall Street guys. I think that they're, you know, uh, a blast and they're smart and they're funny. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I made that guy the bad guy in a couple of movies for sure. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of the the puffed up guy in a suit is very, the opposite of sort of the heroes that you write. Right. Yeah. Well, jumping. I mean, I definitely in my law uh, career. I met some puffed up guys in suits. A lot of times they weren't the Wall Street guys. They were the guys who had hired the Wall Street guys. But uh, yeah, I'm really interested in this idea. We'll get the, of, of you go to you go to college and, and where you went to NYU. Yes, right. As you said, 
And obviously, this is when things started to shift for you. And up to then, you'd never written comedy? No, never written anything. Well, I mean, in school, when you would you write, know, did anyone say, hey, that's a good essay? Or did you just think, well, that's that's work working hard and I'm smart? Yeah, it's working hard. I mean, I think I was the, the grade that skipped creative writing entirely. I recall doing no creative writing in, in school. Like, I would do writing. I'd do, like, an essay on Martin Luther King or I'd do something like a regurgitating facts. And would you try to put personality in those things? I tried, yeah. Like, just a little, like, a, 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 you know, just something to, but more frankly, for the, to get a higher grade. <laughs> <laughs> Would they notice? Would they comment? Yeah, they'd say, oh, very nice, Timmy. You know, good job. You know, funny. Sometimes they didn't think it was funny, and, and uh, I, I didn't get a, the high grade I was looking for. But, uh, you know, they definitely stuck it in there. And, and you go to college, and, is, and, and how do you des- describe how you met Adam and the, the group of guys who ended up being... Happy Madison and making all these movies together. Well, I show up, you know, and, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm straight off the farm, show up at NYU, and um, they stick me in a room, and I see there's two upperclassmen. It was a room for five, and there's two upperclassmen, a room, and there was like a sub room for two, and then a sub room for three, and this larger room of five, and I saw there were two upperclassmen in the, um, in the room for two, so I went into the room for three, and I unpacked. Um, and then it turns out that it wasn't an upperclassman. It was just Adam and his brother and their mother. And the way they were kind of walking around the place like they owned, they owned it, it, I figured that they were both upperclassmen because they seemed like they knew exactly what was going on. So then we went to get our uh, our meal cards. You know, you had to go and get the thing laminated with the right. ID so nobody would steal the terrible food in the cafeteria. And, yeah, and got his whole story. It was his birthday. It was the day I moved in was his 18th birthday. That was Adam's 18th birthday. Yeah, 18th And you were birthday. 17 or 18? I was 17. I'm a little bit younger. So, um, you know, I said, wow, okay, we'll, we'll have to, you know, go out and get some Chinese food or something tonight to get, you know, actually, I didn't suggest the Chinese because I, I had never had Chinese food before, but that was my first night at NYU was Sam's birthday and we went out for Chinese food. Wait, you were, you were 17 going to NYU, never had Chinese Never had food. Chinese food. Right. The world was different back then. Yes, exactly. Never, not never had good Chinese food, never had Chinese food, period. Did you guys ever go to restaurants? Like, you know, twice a year, maybe. So twice a year, your family and what would you what what would that be like uh, an Italian restaurant or like what was it? Yes, like some Italian or there was a place John L's that was like uh, up in Poughkeepsie, which is kind of you know you get chicken or something like that. But it, it was very. I mean, my kids go to restaurants now and they're like, uh, do you have any? You know, like they're very comfortable in restaurants. Well, yeah, you love a good restaurant now. Oh, yeah, everybody, everybody. The restaurant age is uh, is upon us. But, but so you never. So you just ate your mother's food most nights. Yeah, she good cook. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, th- this is, again, a different age. The, you know, she cooked what my dad wanted for dinner. And if I didn't like it, too bad. You know what I mean? So I you learn to like it. Yeah, you learn to like it or you learn to, you know, stock up on the side dishes or whatever. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, my wife makes chicken nuggets and whatever the kids want. And, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know you, how that works. So you've out. never, you mean you never won? You, yeah, exactly. You've never, it's yes. never been your choice. It's a Rodney thing. It's I, no I respect. Think, I think it might say something about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's why I go to restaurants. No, so you, uh. He says, so you say, let's take you out. Yes. And and your picture and, you know, and he says, let's go for Chinese. We went for Chinese food. Did it freak you out at first? Because I t- I've taken a guy once for the first time he ever went to Chinese, a friend of mine from like north of Chicago. And I, I remember he was in New York and he was, the only thing he could find was the rice, fried rice. And he ate that for like five years straight. <laughs> no, I was ready. You know, I definitely, I kind of, you know, I had charged myself up. I was psyched to go to NYU and I realized that this was going to be a bunch of new things. And, you know, I was ready to, you know, um, 
whatever kind of food. I, I was I was psyched up. So that was part of the like business dream was like I can eat. I'll be able to go and be whatever I want to be. Well, yeah. I mean, what uh, my my dream growing up also was to go to Notre Dame, and I got into Notre Dame, and I just that that is the Irish Catholic dream to go what, to Notre was Dame. Was there no they didn't give you money? No. What happened was I got into NYU like in January. Right. I got early acceptance or whatever it was, and they didn't have early decision of those. They they just sometimes they let you know early. And I just had three months to think about it. I was like, gee, if I really want to work in, in the business world, I mean, why not go to the city that never sleeps? You know, why not go to the center of it all? You know, rather than spend four years out in a cornfield in Indiana, why not go to, you know, the place where it's all happening, which is the best decision I ever made. But not just from, for meeting Sandler there, but for, for life. But your dream was really to go to Notre Dame. My dream was to go to Notre Dame. And that was your parents' dream for you? That was, Yeah. But it was also my dream. It was Notre Dame, Zendi. What was the conversation like? It was just sort of a slow... I think my parents didn't mind that um, NYU was a little closer. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they took it okay. They were okay. I think they liked that I was a little closer. But then I got, I got mugged uh, sophomore year, and that freaked them out a little bit. How, how'd you get mugged? Um, me, me and Salem were walking. He forgot his ID at his girlfriend's dorm, so we were walking down University Place, and uh, they just jumped on him to get uh, his, he had a gold chain on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were near Washington Square Park, and uh, I got slashed in the face, and I had to go to the hospital, and then, you know, he had a scar, I still got a cigar. Um, but then my dad drove down, and he was, you know, we walked around the block a couple of times. Did, did Adam get knifed, too? No, it was, it was kind of a miracle. So I they mean, jumped him, and you got in there, and then they knifed they you. They kind of backhanded. They were pun- he, the guy had a knife in his hand, was punching Sandler in the face, and then kind of like backhanded me, like just a very casual, like flick, and and I, it, it didn't even feel like anything. I just kind of felt like, you know, a breeze on like right. something. If, that you, you, would, if you had grown up watching Bruce Lee movies, you would have <laughs> known what to do. It was actually kind of a cool right. move, right? <laughs> but you grew instead. You grew up watching <laughs> yeah. Caddyshack yeah, and exactly. Stripes. Exactly, and very Tyler and So Moore. you were trying to make uh, jokes at these guys, which wouldn't be very effective. Yeah, no, it was. It was. Uh, we lost. So, uh, well, so let's back up uh, to you. Get there. You say, let's go to Chinese food. And when you guys were out at that first dinner, and it was was it you, Adam, and his brother, or just you and Adam? It was all our roommates. Ed's brother had just had been helping to move in, and then he went back to New Hampshire. So the whole crew went, and and could you, did you guys know like, oh, we're, this is we're going to be friends? Like, could you feel that night that you were, were there was a kindred thing or not? Not, not I mean, nothing special. I mean, actually, Adam was kind of the leader of the gang for sure, and all of us roommates. But I mean, it was just such a new thing for us. You know, we really didn't until like maybe two months in. Um, I decided I was going to start working out, and he was working out. So we would walk to the gym together, Cole's Sports Center down on uh, Mercer Street. And that was really when we started realizing we had almost the exact same sense of humor, and he liked... I mean, he, looking at you, you would never know working out was what changed your life. <laughs> I know. Yeah, the I, gym. Say that. I, was, I was pretty buff back then. I was in the mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, but he actually... I, I wore my Rodney shirt one day, and he loved it. Oh, great. And he said, he said that, can I... Can you, can I have that shirt? I love that shirt. And I go, well, we'll make a trade because I love the police. And he had a synchronicity shirt. And I traded the Rodney shirt for the synchronicity. Brothers for life after yeah, that. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you wait, you trade the shirt. He looked, did, did, was he clear about his ambitions at that time? Was it, did you guys give voice to it? Did yeah, you well, say, I'm going to be a business titan? Or did he say, I'm going to be Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Even then? Yes. And did you start making him laugh right away? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was it was you do everything in a pack in those first few days of school. Yeah, and um, you know, 
I, I pick my spots to try and be funny. You know, I was a little intimidated. You know, it was a bunch of people I didn't know, and I was a shy Irish kid. And um, uh, I, I used to do a Scooby-Doo impression. You love my Scooby-Doo. When you say you used to do it. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Who wouldn't I, love that? Of I could just do the it. laugh. I could. I of can't do. I mean, it. everybody does the row, ro, you know. Yeah. But I can do the she. And uh, <laughs> I do that to my kids who watch nothing but yeah. Scooby Doo, and they just stare at me. They don't get it like, at all. Why are you like? They just don't see the magic of the yeah. Scooby Doo. Stop. They want you to stop. Exactly. Did you say, kids? This Scooby Doo laughs. Look around exactly. you. Exactly. Everything you have. Yeah, the TV that you're because, looking at instead of that's me. All because of the Scooby Doo laugh. <laughs> I know. God. No, but. uh so you did that. You start making each other laugh. Yes. And and how did it go from okay, I'm this guy. I'm uh, you know I I'm funny, but I've never written anything funny. Adam says, "What I want to go do stand up, but I don't. I'm not a great writer." Like how did it? Begin? Yeah, it was as he was he doing stand up first before remote control happened. Oh yeah, he he had done one open mic in high school and he bombed. Right. And then he really didn't. It might have been the end of freshman year, or maybe it was the beginning of sophomore year that he went up again. He went up in Folk City. And you went? I went. Well, we all, there was a gang of us who were writing jokes. Who was it? Um, God, I can't remember. It was Eric Lamonsoff, who, who you know, he keeps using his name in movies. It's Kevin James' character. Right. Uh, I don't think Covert was there at that point. Um, just a couple, a couple of, uh, who was it? Was it Howie Rebenstock? I can't remember who was actually there. If it was a guy named Rebenstock and you haven't used his name in a movie, that's <laughs> a real Rebenstock. problem. But I think it was Jack and Frank were there, Jack Garaputo and Frank Caracci. Um, they were there right then with you guys? Yes. Uh, they your year? They were the cool Italian kids downstairs, yeah. Your year in school? The Long Island Italian kids. Who, right. Everybody gravitated. Who had the nice stereo. Sure. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and, of course, the Irish guy's looking askance at the Italians with the nice stereo. Yeah, exactly. Wondering how they got it. What does a rig like that cost? Right. No, but uh, I don't even want to know what you would have said about the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> Us Jews. But uh, what, probably we, uh, you know, loaned them the money at two usurious a rate to get the... Uh, <laughs> no, but what... Uh, when Were you writing for him that night? Well, it, what happened was, like, he needed material, so let's write some jokes. So, like, a bunch of us went off and wrote jokes, and I had to actually go When you home. say you went off and wrote them, what do you mean? Well, I actually, that the weekend before, I went to Poughkeepsie, yeah. and I took the train, that beautiful train ride up the Hudson River, yeah. and I had a pad, so I'm like, yeah, I'll write some jokes. And it wasn't, you know, at this point, it's just like it's the most lark of a thing Had ever. you never, you'd never written a joke never wrote before, a joke, consciously? Never wrote a joke down on a piece of paper. And never thought about it, never studied, like, other than your enthusiasm Nothing. for comedy. Yes. Never complete, never really did any creative writing. Never wrote a short story. You know, just some of the jokes that I thought uh, a stand-up could say on stage, I was going to try to do my version. And had you been carrying that around, uh, idea around at all in your head? Nope. It was just a complete... And you like, didn't think of yourself as a creative person? Right. It was like if somebody said, I want to be on the bobsled team, and then you just go and start pushing the bobsled. It was that random and out of left field and... Never had for you gave it a minute's thought. Yes, where Adam had dreamed of it and clearly was going to do it for you. This was like, oh, uh, I, I'll see if I could do it. Well, I think Adam wanted to be Eddie Murphy, so he wanted to be the movie star. And I think at a certain point he realized, you know, I should do the stand-up comedy thing because that's how Eddie started. Is he, you know, I should take this, yes. you know, seriously. Uh, you don't go straight to Beverly Hills Cop. Right. You got there's going to be something so you, in so between. You, so you wrote this. I wrote a bunch of jokes. He did a bunch of everybody's jokes, and mine got the biggest laughs. And that then what was, was it, so races. what was that like sitting there? So you go and Adam's getting up and, and when did it occur to you? Cause when did it occur to you? 
oh, holy shit, he's about to say my, these people are going to comment on, you know. Yeah. What, like, did that, did you get a feeling in your, like, what was it like before he started? Well, you know, I mean, he's my friend, and I mean, public speaking is one of the scariest things, like, to go up there, and to go up there as a stand-up comedian, to go up there and, oh, and, no, I and thought you it, don't yeah. have a, yeah, obviously, and, 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 um, I mean, it was, I had to pit my stomach for him, I said, I hope he doesn't bomb, and, like, plenty of the jokes bombed, but then, you know, he would start one of my jokes, and I go, now I really wanted it to do good, and you then did. when I heard people laughing, uh, I was like, I mean, it was like, pow, you know? It was, like you got full endorphins. Yes, it was It was crazy. It's that, because you go from that total nervousness, that pit in your stomach, like your first major league at bat or whatever that thing is, and then, boom, it works. And and I can't imagine a better feeling. Right, that had to be like a singular moment for you, the, the, the fear, and then, oh, wow. Like a quiet, it private. Worked. Yeah, exactly. That, that thing that I wrote worked. Like, he said it, and it worked. I'm, I'm totally picturing the face, like, of Totoro in Quiz Show when he gets the answers right. <laughs> and he makes that giant smile. <laughs> and he's dead. And I'm picturing you just, you know, with this. I don't do giant smiles. Yeah. I did my little sneaky Irish smile. Right. The little sneaky uh, smile. And so that works. Now, did you, so he, he kills on enough of your stuff. Right. That that I started, I, I was getting enough of a charge at it. What'd you do when he got off stage that night? Uh you know, honestly, can't remember. I probably, you know, had too much to drink. Drank. I was, I was, together. Yeah. You yes. guys probably yeah. drank together. Probably. Yeah, had a few. For sure. Had the cur- maybe got the courage to call a girl? It, no, that was that's that was years and years off. Oh, okay, no courage. Still no courage. <laughs> no girls. Just drinking. It's just, just drinking sleep. Boys drinking and, and being and, and, and laughing. Then, yeah, maybe not puking and, and sleeping. Yes, maybe not puking. Maybe not puking. So, now, at any time during that night, do you start to think, like, oh, I can't wait to do this again? Or was it a one-off thing in your mind? Um... I kind of couldn't wait to do it again. I was thinking I could do this. N- never thought of it as a career, but like got a charge at him and wanted the charge again. Wanted to write more jokes. Yes. And did you start then c- writing creatively or did you wait for Adam to say, I'm going to do this again. Let's get going. I think he said right away that let's, let's do this. Let's get it going. And it's amazing to me that he was able to be like a general, like leaders are leaders, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's, but I mean, it was really just me and, and I wasn't, it was, it was just, it was so much fun. Right. But I mean, he. But it does seem like immediately you you say he said like let's do it again. Yeah. And like you were following the guy. Yeah. No, I was for sure into I was, battle. I was in. I was in one hundred percent. So you started writing again. Right. But I mean, it was you know I was in a full business you know double major. I mean I was. What I was, was your th- double major? Accounting and international business. And so you're doing that, and you're still you're getting good grades because you obviously must have gotten great grades because you. Ended I did up all right. Why you? They didn't throw me out. Yeah. That, so uh, yeah, and doing you know normal college things and having you know other buddies and doing other things and and uh, activities and and but at the same time like banging out and I could always bang them out quick. You know, I could I could I could. You, know. you could you could sit down and write twenty jokes. Yeah. If I sat down, back I mean, then. I can't anymore. <laughs> no, that's listen. <laughs> but uh, back then, yeah, sit sit and get a yellow pad and you know. 10 minutes and, and just sit there and I mean, I couldn't bang. Were you writing for his personality then? Or were you writing just what you thought was funny? Well, a lot of times we write together and we would just, you know, and we would just like be goofing around and just write that down or, you know, or he would write it down or. But you didn't have, he had serious intention then, but you didn't. Right. I had serious intention to do this job well, but I didn't think of it as a job that would one day support me. It was just kind of a. Yeah, you had serious intention to help your friend and to do this thing that kind of turned you on. Right. And did you find, like, I remember, because I was working full-time when I started writing the rounders, and uh, I started to realize, oh, that two hours is the best two hours of my day. Uh-oh, that's a problem. Did that happen to you? Um, 
eventually. You know, it was so hit or miss. You know, writing stand-up jokes is like, you know, you think of one in the shower, and then you get out of the shower and you write it down, and it doesn't even feel like work. It's just sort of something that's going on in your life. And it, literally, I would sit down for half an hour, and I'd bang. And it was when I was bored. It was when I was stuck, or sometimes I'd be in class, and the guy was droning on, and I would just start writing jokes. And the, it, it was purely a, like what you would use solitaire on your iPhone now for. I was writing was jokes. Was writing jokes. Yeah, exactly. And then when you'd see him perform, because, yeah, I remember I would be at work, and I had a good job, a fun job, but still, I would be like, you know, oh, I would be up so, no matter how late at night, you know, Levine and I would meet every morning at 8 to write the thing. I mean, I would be there at 5. I was never late to write, you know, never late to start writing. Like, it was so, everything about it made me alive. <laughs> so, like, when you were watching Adam do the thing, right? It yeah. must have... Yeah. Oh, gosh. What happened to us? <laughs> That's great. I have to write next Monday, and I'm wearing dread, dread, and I'm like, oh, God, I got to work. Wait, you have to what? I have to do some... I'm, I'm off this week, but I'm writing. I'm going back Why to Why are you I'm, off this week? Um, I'm writing a movie with Sandler, and he's on spring break. And you guys sit in a, you guys sit in a room together Skype. when you write? We Skype it up. So you don't write and send pages, and he doesn't write and send pages? Not anymore, no. And so this week, and because now you're you're grown up, you're not trying to think ahead. You're waiting for him. Oh no, God no! Yeah, I mean, I, could, I, have, I have all this other stuff I could be reading, and I could be going over stuff, and in no way, none of it. You're not doing any of it. Spring break. He's on spring break. I'm on. You're spring sitting break. here talking to me and accidentally selling your match tickets. <laughs> exactly. Basically, that's productive. <laughs> Every day that's, is a version of that. That's great. So uh, it's probably good you're not a fireman, because honestly. If you had to bring the hose. No, but that's a great job because, you know, the I yeah, mean, my, no. my dad did it. I mean, oh, no, no. Being a fireman is awesome. I'm just saying I'm not sure I want you being my fireman. Oh, okay. oh yeah. You like, wouldn't want I don't want to be a fireman. I would like to be a fireman. You wouldn't like me to be your fireman. No, I called the fire department recently because I burned a pork chop and almost took my apartment down. For real, they were there in two minutes, the most competent, incredible guys. Yeah, it's, it's, if it was up to me, I mean, I'm the idiot who used a pork chop to basically burn my apartment down, <laughs> you know? Yeah, back when my dad was doing I mean, it was it was the 70s in the Bronx. I mean, it was the fire capital of the world. I mean, maybe sure. in world history. I mean, I don't know, maybe Rome burnt, I guess. Would but... you be worried about it? No, I, I was, you know, you think your dad's a superhero, so it's like you don't, you know, looking back, I mean, he, it was a very dangerous But time. it didn't it didn't haunt, haunt no, you? No, I, I never thought, yeah. He... So, okay, going, going, going forward. Um so you're doing this, and you'd see Adam, and he'd be now. This become a regular thing, then. Well, what happens is um, he starts doing it. Um, you know, we went from kind of the village, kind of the open mic night type things, to he went on the road. What do you mean? He would do Long Island, Queens, Jersey. He, How would he would just get these gigs somehow? Because he was doing. He had well? like a booking agent, like right away. the next step up the ladder. Not right away. But he was. He was. You know, I bet it was close to a year, maybe nine months that he was doing. Village and, and how much of your time is this taking up? You know, I, I start not going to all the things. And, you know, obviously with stand-up, you're building an act. So, like, a, a good joke will last, yes, you know, years. But you keep adding to it. Yeah. And you go when you you go often or not often? You know, in the village, you know, it's fun. You know, you go, you bring your, your bunch of your buddies go. When he's out in, you know, uh, Levittown, you know, or you're doing, you know, chuckles. You know, I stayed back. No, I didn't go. And would you guys debrief? Would he come back and talk to you about it? Well, what happened by at this point, um, I decided I should start getting paid for this. So he said, I'll pay you 10%. How did that conversation happen? I think it was uh, just very natural. Like, I just like, uh, hey, can I, you know, I'm writing all this stuff. Or I, I forget if he offered it. I, I honestly can't remember the conversation. Maybe I'm blocking it out. You think you were uncomfortable awkward. about it? It's hard to ask your roommate to start paying you. Yeah, well, what was that like? Yeah, what? Well, what it was was... Uh, did someone say it to you or did you have it in your own thought? Like, I could see guys who were jealous going, I mean, you know, he's taking it, you should get paid. No, maybe it was that moment that it's like, uh, you know, I, I am doing this for fun, but, you know, like you, you do a lot of jobs for fun and, you know, right. uh, but at the same time, 
Um, there must have been one moment when I didn't feel like doing it. Right, and, and you like, did it anyway. I was like, all right, I should get paid. So I get 10%. That's pretty good. So he would get paid like uh, $30 to do these road gigs. And he'd come back all hours of the night, and when I woke up, there'd be three dollars. That's great on the desk. There, well, I hope you locked the ten percent in in perpetuity. I know. Yeah, I was thinking that I probably should have hung. That would have been a really good 10%. way to make the deal. The ten yes. percent thing. If you were really the businessman you thought exactly. you were, ten percent of Adam Sailor would have been a nice deal. Not to bad. Make. Yeah. But so you, uh, so you start getting paid now. Right. I mean, but and, literally, and it was weird. Now, now at the time, very few beginning comedians had writers. Right. Right, guys who could write were getting up. Right, and and Adam could write too. Of course. I mean, it was just sort of you know superpowering the act. You know what I mean? Just sort of speeding things along. Right, but uh, did you ever think to yourself, seeing everyone else writing, I should get up and do it? No, never. You never did. You ever do it? Never. Not to once. this day, you've never gotten up and never. told jokes. I'm too old now. <laughs> no. So, but you you've written jokes for millions of events and things, and it never felt like I should be the one up there doing it. Never happy when he got a laugh that felt like the laugh exactly and there was there was only one time i've ever been jealous of him when was that he did um he did a tour he did a comedy tour and he would do music too you know he did the albums and he did music well you did the albums with him yeah yeah and but he would do cover tunes too and i went out to see him i i went from the, the i saw the cleveland gig and i brought him the bus to the detroit gig so i saw him in cleveland and he used to end his show with a song out in the street by bruce springsteen right and he goes through his whole thing. He's playing his joke songs. He's playing a few covers. And he's he's rocking out the I street. I talked the way I want to talk. Yeah. yeah. I walked the way I want and, to talk. And that was the only moment. I was like, gee, if I was up there, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. That, that so was, he was doing it. Did Bruce come and join him? No. Oh, so no, it was, it was just, he was just, it wasn't anything special. Oh, he, he was just, just rocking doing and the crowd the street, was there. Doing and I just remember that was a, a moment of pure jealousy that I wanted to be up there. How old were you? I like 25. <laughs> what did you do with that emotion? I, it was weird because I'd never felt it before, and I was like, "Yeah, well, yeah, and it was, uh, you know, it's it is a." Did weird... you say anything to him? I think I've told him, yeah, that I felt jealous, and I said that I love that song, and geez, boy, I, you know, sometimes I hear that song on the radio, I was like, I, you know, that would be okay to be the guy who sang that song, you know. Yeah, you know, you probably could have said, "Hey, let me strap a guitar on and stand in the back." I know it's not even my favorite Springsteen song, but it's no, just there's something the about it. like you bring the house down with that song. Yeah, you know? everyone's rocking and just everybody's screaming. But and... for you, it wasn't the girls, it wasn't the thing. It was just something primal about that moment of being lost in that song. Yeah, just just getting everyone off their feet. Not in a, not in a, like so a lot of times you, you, people get to their feet and you're like you, they just do it because everybody else does. And some people like the, that that primal like you know. When he does, when you see Springsteen and he launched, even though it's born to run and you've heard it a million times, when you hear that, and then people just boom out of their seats. So watching him do your thing, you felt, I guess you were connected enough to it. You got enough of an ego hit or enough of a a hit off it. Hey, we're we're doing this thing together. But that thing you weren't really a part of. Just that moment. You set it all up, but you didn't get that part. It had nothing to do with you directly. I got nothing. It was a a little reflection on Springsteen and a lot of reflection on Salem. I had no no reflected glory in that moment. But you're okay with the reflected glory. If you know you did it, that's enough for you. Yes, exactly. But you didn't do that thing. Yes. And yet you knew it was kind of built on a bunch of stuff. It's complicated, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. It's a complicated thing about being a, a writer uh, and who doesn't write novels and gets all the glory. It is like reflected glory a lot of the time. And it is. I mean, and you and I, I mean, let's, we both do cameos. We've both been in our movies. We've been in other people's movies. I mean, it's, I mean, I like to think that I do it because I know I can deliver that particular moment and that particular character well. Yeah. But there's a little bit of, hey, I'm going to be in the movie. Yeah, you know, the way I protect it, 
is uh, I've never been in one of my own movies. Really? Yeah, I've only oh, okay. done it when I've been asked by a director. Because I didn't ever want to... First of all, you know, because Dave and I do this together. It's a little awkward. I, I would never say to Dave, hey, I should be in the movie. <laughs> Uh, because that would put my, you know, life look best friend in the position of going, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but beyond that, I just felt like, uh, and it's funny when Tony Gilroy first asked me to do Clay, Mike Clayton, um, I had wanted someone to ask me for a really long time and I never asked anyone. So I was so happy to do it. And now that people ask me every once in a while, I, I do, I'd be lying. I love it. I always say my life is saved by the fact that I, I, uh, I love acting. I, I love it. Uh, but not enough to have made it my life. If I would have loved it, like, just 2% more, I would have had a horrible life. Because I would have chased yes. it. Yes. And I would never have made it and, as an actor. Yes. And my life would be horrendous. Yeah, thank God you didn't love it that much. Right. That you know that horrendous. feeling, I right? know, exactly, yeah. Because if, if people throw their lives away. You you know? see I mean, not throw that. I mean, that's an awful thing to say. But people, you know, I mean, I, I did a Broadway thing. And, I mean... Just any time I, I, I've had to sit through auditions, I can't stand it. It's le my least favorite thing in this whole process. And you just see people who are still knocking on that door and 50, 60 years old. Well, when you can tell that they're um, ne that it's never going to happen for them, that you don't understand why nobody said something to them. Yeah, or, or that they never heard it or that they, you know, I mean, as long as they're having fun, I mean, God bless them. But, you know, uh, it, it's tough. It's a tough business. No, I encourage people all the time to try. But, and and I, I do think you never know. And I have a friend who just got – who's 60 years old, who just got a giant part, who's been a working guy but now got a giant thing. So it does happen, and it's great. And that ruins it for everybody. That well, yeah, that, happening. <laughs> that could be me. <laughs> um, so you're doing this thing. He's performing. And when did he get remote control? Because Colin said that – uh, you guys kind of crafted those characters together on remote control. Well, he, you know, he, um, I mean, MTV, you know, I heard you talking to Colin about it. I mean, it was the big thing happening in New York. I mean, it had kind of broke in 1983, I guess, when I was a, a junior in high school. But by the time we were at NYU, I mean, it was right up here. It was, it was a block away from where we are right now. And it was the center of the universe and MTV. And it was the, the center of pop culture like nothing's been before or since. So Sandler got, was sort of a fringe kind of guest DJ, like got some sort of, you know, um, and it turned into this little part on remote control. So, I mean, and, and we love, I mean, it was just, it was so much and fun. And did you work on that with him? Not, you know, I, I'd, I'd help him with little jokes here and there. You know, not, not, I didn't craft Stud Boy. I mean, it was not my, not, not my guy. I, mean, right. I did help him out on, you know, things, but not, you know, maybe 15%. So as that was happening and he was getting this professional success, it still didn't occur to you I could be involved in this professionally? It was just a really cool hobby. It was okay. really, it, it was almost like, you know, the way I did it was almost the way your mother would want you to do it. You know, ah, go to law school, you know, you can do it as a hobby, you know, and I did. And I did it as a hobby until the moment I could make more money doing it. Um, so let's talk about, so walk me through how this all happened. So you're in college. Uh, he's now on his way. And right, he, what happens for you? Walk us through it up to you, you writing your first sketch for SNL. Well, he, um, so after graduate, well, senior year, he got a part on the Cosby show, like a bit, he did three right. shows, which was the big, the other big thing. If, if MTV was the big youth thing, like Cosby was the big family thing. So that was big. And did you go watch the show? I did. And, and loved it. 
Love that he did it. Yeah, well, I mean, the Cosby Show wasn't at that point. You know, when you're in college, you don't watch a lot of sitcoms. So I, I, sure. I was more the, the generation. I was the Happy Days generation. So I had never seen an episode of the Cosby Show when I went to see. Until the Adam was on. Until it. Adam was on. It was the first episode, even though it was by far the biggest show on TV for years and years. Um, but you know, he would tell us. You know, Cos would bring him into the office and he'd give him advice, and he Sandler would do his Cos impression. And uh, I mean, it was just a, it, we had a blast at all of it. But uh, I remember that being particularly fun. And then right after we graduated, um, he got an apartment. Actually, it was across the street from an apartment I got. But then he moved out to L.A. and moved in. Didn't move in with Apatow right away. Moved in with uh, Covert. Right. And um, so that was my mobile oil year. So I'm out at Ryan McFadden, seventh time of our life. He's doing stand-up. I'm occasionally helping him with stand-up. But you're basically that year, you're not really involved in it. Right, yes. And how did that feel to you? Did you miss it? No. You I did mean, not consciously miss it. Yeah, I always thought it was kind of a lark that, you know, and now my, my life is starting, you know. It was like a, kind of a fun college thing to do. And I, I always had faith that Adam was going to be a big star, that he was going to be Eddie Murphy someday, and that I would it would be cool to have a famous person be a good friend of yours. And you guys are still talking a lot? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, on the phone, and you know, but he's living in the Valley. He's doing his thing. He's trying to get in an improv out there, doing the L.A. thing. I'm here. His, his act at that time is still some percentage of your jokes? Less and less, but still some percentage of it. Right. For sure. Um, you know, w- what ha- had happened was um, I, senior year, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. And it was sort of a lark. I just decided I, I liked the school lifestyle so much. And what happened is I I, uh, I applied to NY, no, I applied to Harvard, Yale, UCLA and USC, because I did have a little Los Angeles thing going at that time. And USC was kind of my safe school. Right. And I got a perfect score on my LSATs. Wow. So I tore up the uh, USC application. I applied to Stanford instead. So you know what happened. You got news everywhere except for... for. (laughs) So go to work as an accountant for a year. So Even uh, NYU didn't take you? No, I didn't apply. I applied to Harvard, Harvard, Yale, Yale, Stanford, Stanford, and and UCLA, UCLA, which was very hard as a non-California resident to get into. So I went 0 for 4 and I had to get a job. So then I went back to NYU the following year. Um, and, yeah, that year was tough. That first year of law school was tough. I was very consumed, not helping Sandler at all, really, very consumed with my stuff, uh, with trying to get through the first year of law school. Which not is, being, were you a cut-up in law school? No. No. You were not making jokes and contracts. Yeah. There was, there were, it's not a jokey place, law school. <laughs> no, I mean, I was there. You know, I went to Fordham Law at night, but I, uh, I, I would. Because I would think if I could, uh, I would just think if I can actually make the professor laugh, I've won. Wow. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'd fail and then they get the withering, horrible, like John Hausman look. Yeah. Well, I got that the first day I got lamp. I didn't, you know, you always had that fear of the Socratic method. And, yeah. and I got called on and I got lamp. I hadn't done the homework the first day for some reason. And I got lambasted. Wow. So which kind of freed me from the fear that the other kids had. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't know. I, I had bad associations with going to class did, after that. Did you make friends there? No. So you, so it was uh, sort of the real, like in the movie, then this guy's trying to be responsible and it's miserable. Yes. And so miserable. it was miserable. Miserable. You missed Adam. You missed Covert. You missed your buddies. Yeah. Every, and I had a, a larger circle of friends and Jack and Frank and, and, and a bunch of other people. And they were all, you know. Were they all pursuing show business? No. But they were all like sort of leaving New York one by one. And I was I was stuck behind at NYU, which was the scene of our great, you know, four years of fun. But at that, you know, all the fun had drained out of it. I was in law school, no fun. 
everybody, you know, all the people, my roommates were just like, I studied 10 hours last night. How long did you study for? You know, I was like, shut up. You know, there's nobody wanted to party down. <laughs> and had you met uh, a, a girl yet or your wife? And Nope. I was no. lonely loser. So lonely loser <laughs> and not even think, writing jokes, not sort of living that part of your life that made you feel alive. Yeah, no. Absolutely. And not even aware that that part did make you feel. I'm trying, when did, did you own to yourself, boy, that's way better? It, to me, it was over. It was over. Wow, you buried it. It was over, yes. That's a good way to put it, buried it, yes. It was, it was just done. It was something I did for fun in college, and it was done. And I can't I, imagine that. And I was in law school now, and I thought I'd made a big mistake going to law school. But then what How'd I did, you pay for law school? Loans up the wazoo. So you had loans for college, too? Tens of thousands of dollars in loans. So you're buried in loans. You actually told yourself, like a, almost like a character in an Arthur Miller play or something. Like You told yourself, it's done. Yes. I can't look back. Hey, no, that that phase of life is over. Even though I was still helping Adam occasionally. Um, I remember once I, I had a, a interview for a summer job at Skadden Arps in L.A. And so I went out to see him. Big law firm. Yes, big law firm in L.A. And it was the night of a big fight. I forget who was fighting. It, it, it was Tyson and somebody. It was the era of Mike Tyson. And, uh, and so he was going to pick me up at my hotel, which is in downtown L.A. Yeah. And he called me and said he hurt his shoulder. And he couldn't come get me, but I could take the bus. So I took, he was living in Reseda. Right. It was like a very sad place. So I go out there and take, I think I had to take three buses. And I get out there and I watch the fight. It was me and him and Apatow and Jim Carrey, who he was working with on, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was this? In Living Color. Living Color, sure. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, it was just starting off. So it was, so we watched the fight and then I couldn't take the bus home. So Jim Carrey gave me a ride home and we got law. I didn't know any, I didn't know any, I didn't know. Was he funny? Downtown. Did he was funny? No, he was very kind. Cause I didn't know, Adam said, yeah, he lives in Santa Monica. And I didn't know what a big deal it was for somebody who lived in Santa Monica. To drive you all that way. To go to downtown LA right. from, from Reseda. All the way from west to all then, the way east. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then got lost and we're like getting off the wrong exit and we're both like. In a, no GPS. In a, back yeah, then. exactly. No GPS. So, I mean, I, I, I owe him a big one. But I mean, that was the extent. And then it was back and do the interview and go home, you know. But then um, my second year of law school, I moved out of the village. It was the best thing. I moved in with some buddies who went to Fordham Law School. Right. And college buddies. And Sandler got it sat alive and came back. So then what happened to you? And then I did meet a girl. <laughs> and then so everything started happening then. That was. But when Sandler got SNL, what happened to you? Um, I just had my buddy back. You know what I mean? Somebody to go to the diner yeah. with on Sunday And that's Sunday a fun morning. guy. I mean, that's if you got to have a buddy come back, Adam Sandler's a pretty good buddy to pick out of your right. doldrums. And he was not, he was he was hired as a writer. So I was helping him. Not as a performer. Not as a performer, as a writer. So with the hopes that one day he would become a feature player. Which so when is, you say you were helping him. Helping him write. And how did that work? He did you go I, to the office? No. The only time I went to the office before I was hired there, it was, um, I was, it was St. Patrick's Day. And we, I was in the parade or watching the parade or something, and I, I had had a few too many, <laughs> and I went up there to visit him. And I remember meeting like, um, uh, I think that was the first time I met Farley. And did, did he tell people you were you were writing? It, it was a little. It was sort of like an open seat. You know, I wasn't really supposed to, but like there were people knew had, Adam had a guy he was writing. Everybody with? had a guy on the outside, you know, a buddy from home that was helping them with stuff. You know what I mean? And so you were doing it for free at that point. Yes, for free. I, I had given up my 10% at you that had, point. You were doing it for free. And so you start, and now do you feel immediately like, okay, this is good? Well, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, the charge I got from sitting in the audience. What was the first sketch you got on the air? 
I, I honestly can't. Oh, remember. come on. No, I can't remember. I remember the first official sketch I got on the air. I mean, I was, at this point, you know, I had met this girl, uh, and she told me about, she was a girl from Queens, and she told me about her neighbor, Canteen Boy, who was a guy who. You came up with Canteen Boy? It was her, my wife's neighbor. And I was talking about it with Sandler, and I was saying this guy walks around with a canteen. I mean, one of the all-time classic SNL sketches. <laughs> and, 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 and so we, you know, we wrote this sketch about Canteen Boy together. And, you know, it took a life of its own. But then he was on. Wait, wait, that's when he was on. I mean, he was on. He played at, Yeah, at that, at that point, yeah, he was on. That was a year or two later. So that was one of the, that was the first sketch that you originated that got on, you think? Yes. And what did that, that where did you watch character. that from? Where did you watch it? I'm trying to remember. Gosh, I can't remember. I'm so bad about this. I do remember once I, I was on skiing in Utah with a buddy. Yeah. And we were just, we, were, we had no money. I was, I was, I was, so Canteen Boy, you didn't get paid for? No. So. Wow. <laughs> well, because it's funny because you were such a materialist person in a certain way, so materialistic in that you had a goal. You had this like total like financial goal, but you didn't like reconcile these two things. I didn't feel like, I mean, I got such a charge at it. It was like right. the canteen boy. I mean, obviously I, you know, came up with the idea. I came up with a couple of beats and then like the professional writers, you know, right. did their Jim Downey wrote a bunch mm -hmm. on it and Adam, you know, worked it and worked it and worked well, it. Came and, up with the voice and everything. Yes. <laughs> right. Obviously you didn't come up with that voice. <laughs> hey. Um, but I, I, on this trip to Utah, I remember Sandler called me and I said, oh, I had an idea for a sketch. And I was kind of sitting there. My buddy's sitting, you know, we're, we're in a Motel 6 and twin beds and we're just, you know, it's awful. And it's like on a Thursday night. And I'm saying, yeah, and then he can say this and then he can say this and then he can say this. And it was a museum sketch that was from the perspective of the painting. And I don't even think Adam was in it. Right. I think it was mostly kneeling. And, um, and then Saturday night, you know, we're tired and put on SNL and that sketch comes on. And the guy I was with, my friend Phil, was like looking at me, looking at the TV, wow. looking at me, because he remembered wow. me saying those lines into the phone two days ago, and now the man on the TV is saying them. So uh, that was kind of a thrilling, like, yeah, this is, we're not in Kansas anymore, kind of. And did you there. realize then I'm professionally funny? Like, when did you realize you were professionally yeah, funny? Yeah, no, that was, at that point, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm writing this stuff, and it's like, I mean. So I, did it occur to you then, I have to ask for a job? Yeah, yes. When, when did that, right then, like that weekend? I realized that that um, I might have to wait a little while till Sandler became. I mean, Sandler was the lowest of the low at that point. So I mean, he was constantly in danger of getting fired himself. He wasn't even a feature play. He was like kind of sneaking into sketches. So he had no juice. And you were at a law firm by now. I think I, I was um, last year of law school by now. Last year of law school, and you're actually writing sketches that are on SNL for no credit nor for any money. <laughs> it makes you feel you're like a steward here, man. No. No, it's uh, more about the pat. No, it's uh, what's fascinating about it is that you let you would sort of shut your passion off to try to achieve this goal, and then somehow this thing was almost so pure to you that you couldn't sully it or something to think of it as mercantile. I don't. Yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't think of, it wasn't like I said, oh, I should be getting paid for this, and and I and then I tamped down those feelings. I just didn't have those feelings. I just I I got a charge out of doing it. Yeah. And, but then I did think I could turn it into a job at some point. So, um, how, how did you do that? Well, I would, he had me writing some sketches, like after a certain point, uh, uh, they had like test sketches. So I'd write three sketches and work on them. Adam would give me notes on them, you know, I, you know, and then I'd get them and I put them in a manila envelope. I'd send them to Jim Downey, who was the head writer of SNL. You had met him at this point through yes, Adam? met him through Adam. Yes. And you would, sh and then you should send him the thing saying, I will, I want a job. Yeah. I want a job here are three sketches. I did submissions. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, I did that for like. I guess three years. I While you then became a lawyer? Became a lawyer, full-fledged lawyer. 
Um, and then you want to talk about the moment. I remember yes. this moment very clearly. Tell us. Um, it was like late September. And I'm still hoping I'm going to get hired for that year, even though there had been three shows right. already in that season. I'm a lawyer. And so it's it's around 1 o'clock, and I'm talking to Sandler on the phone, and he said he, and he was constantly pushing for me, pushing me. You know, Sandler's pestering, pestering, pestering. And found out that Downey never even read the sketches and lost them. What? And this was, you know, these sketches were lost. I mean, this was a, it wasn't email. This was like I typed them up and so they were lost. So I went out to a late lunch and I go to the Pearl Street Diner. I was working on Wall Street. Right. And I'm going to the Pearl Street Diner. And, you know, it's late. You know, nobody else is in there. It's 2.30. I'm eating lunch. I'm in my suit. And, the, and the, you know, they have the light radio on. And still crazy after all these years comes on the radio. Yeah. And which I always associate with SNL. Sure, Paul Simon because, and you know, the I mean, whole thing. Yeah. You know, as much as when we talked earlier about my influence, I mean, I love this. Everybody loved this. But I mean, it was, it's part of our DNA, kind of. For sure, generation. our generation, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I start getting like, I'm going to cry. And like, you know, when that sneaks wow. up on you, yeah. like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm in, a, in my suit having lunch. I have to go back and make phone calls and do deals and everything. And I, I better, like, choke this down because I'm going to cry. Wow. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, eating my burger and fries. And, and that was the first time I realized, I guess I kind of want this, man. Oh, you know, I, I guess this isn't such a lark for me. Cause, and, and then from that moment, you know, a year later, I was, I was on SNL. I had Billy Madison in the can. I mean, it was at that moment, you know, everything. It was like that was the low moment. And so from that moment... You think a year later you had Billy, Billy Madison not just written but shot? It was shot that summer. Had you started it yet? I was writing Happy Gilmore a year later. But Billy Madison, you started writing it. Billy Madison started writing it right around that time. With Adam. With Adam. And then you got on the show. You did get on the show. Well, what happened was, um, wrote yeah, how Billy did it happen Madison that summer. Um, that summer, I'd gone out. He was shooting a movie called Airheads. Right. And I went out and we decided, he said, Lauren wants to do a Brandon movie. Brandon Fraser, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Farley and Michael Richards. Yeah. Uh, and Buscemi. That's where Salem met Buscemi. And so we, we, we didn't know nothing about movies. I mean, we were watching movies. So um, he had heard somewhere you do index cards. So we did index cards. So we were sitting in the trailer of Airheads doing index cards. And then I went back and I started writing this movie. Yeah. And I, I, I got the script for Airheads and I got the script for another movie, PCU, that I used like for the margins and stuff. To figure out but I, what I wrote, it's supposed to look like. Yeah, and I wrote it on Microsoft Word, and I did like tab, 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 tab and, and, then, and then so I did the whole thing, and I did it on the computer at work, which at that time you didn't have personal computers. You had like a database that you could so access. So you're at your law firm billing clients writing exactly. Billy Madison. Exactly. Oh, Billy that's Clark. great lawyers. That, that is revenge. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's on the, so it's on the server of this law firm. It probably st- it's called, it was called LeftBack at the time. So right. it was like it was called LeftBack.doc. So I get on LeftBack.doc. And work on that. And then so um, soon after after that uh, Pearl Street Diner moment, um, I guess I finished up probably around November. And Lauren read it. And then he wanted to tell us what he thought of it. So I'd never met him before. So we're going to meet him at the after party for the Nicole Kidman show. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. Wow. So Lauren, it's nice to meet you, Jim. And, uh, and uh, I feel weird doing it in this building. That he right, of course. Uh, but uh, he didn't like it. Oh. But he said, uh, maybe do the whole movie takes place in one grade instead of all 12 grades. And, you know, at that point, it was my first movie, first script I'd ever written. And right. I, he, he couldn't have said anything. You know, ne- we've learned over the years to roll with the punches and people say stupid things that, like, start your, scra- you know, f- that make you start from, from scratch. But at that point, I was not 
you know, you're not ready, not emotionally ready to hear something like that. So I'm sitting there and like, you know, it's kind of cool. There's Nicole Kim and Tom Cruise is over walking around shaking hands. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, uh-uh. like, oh, my God. And 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 I was like, well, I guess we'll write, we'll write another movie. I'm like, we're not writing another movie. Right, we got to make this, this one. We put more. our heart and soul yeah. in this. And then so um, like two months later, he says, this guy, the guy who did Airheads, Bob Simons, wants to produce this. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, right. You know. And he goes, no, no, he's serious. And I'm like, you, you know, you hear so much. But you're this, not on the show yet. I mean, still being a lawyer. And then the, the thing that made me, uh, I started getting faxes. Back then you got faxes. Yeah. And they had the Universal logo on uh-huh. it. And you the Globe and the Universal. And I was like, all right, this Bob Simons guy is for real. Then maybe this is happening. And then I got finally got the tryout at SNL in March. What's a tryout mean? Two weeks of just guest writer, it's called. So you go in there for two weeks. Go in there for two weeks. And then you never left. Right. And it was after this famous, uh, the show right before was this Martin Lawrence show, um, which yeah. he did. He did a very dirty monologue. They had a lot of trouble. And there was a lot of, and it, that's the time of year. I didn't know this at the time, but by March, people are wiped out. You know, And writers. you came in with energy. I came in like, let's write a sketch, guys. You know, and, and so uh, I think the energy kind of brought me through when I got a couple things on. I got one thing on for each show and they offered me the job. So I went and gave... I said I couldn't start right away. I had to give six weeks notice at the law firm because I had a lot of and stuff. And you did it? On. And I did. I went back and I and I had lied to the law firm and said that I was going to Jamaica. And I really went up to 30. So miles. I got to know what it, we haven't talked really about the law firm, but I think people understand what it's like to work in a law firm. What happened when you walked in and said, I'm going to, did they all know you were friends with Adam Sandler? Yes. Well, Adam Sandler wasn't a big cheese at that time. He right. was just sort of a fringy guy. But when you life. walked in and said, I'm going to. They were very unimpressed. I couldn't, I, to this day, I don't understand. Why. What do you mean they were unimpressed? I said that, you know, I said, uh, oh, I'm leaving the firm. And they're like, oh, oh, that's too bad. Oh, what are you, where are you going to go? I said, I'm going to go be a writer at Senate Live. And they're like, oh, oh, well, good luck with that. That sounds Wow, great. that's great. They and couldn't even process it, everybody. right? Everybody. Well, you probably seem crazy, dude. Got no big reaction out of anybody. People right. barely looked you up. You thought it was going to be amazing, right? Because you know what it meant to you. I think Wall Street lawyers are so, have such a high opinion. Like, they think that there couldn't be, like, yeah, why would you want to be know, an M&A guy? Yeah, I'm going to be the Secretary of Defense. Oh, good luck with that. You know. Right. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. So when you then went, those two weeks at SNL, the culture, like the changing environments, working in that work environment, what was that like? Could you process it? You'd always thought work was a certain thing and then it was that. What was it like when you were there doing that Well, work? I mean, it was hard work because it's a job interview. Yes. And you, you know, you, you know, Adam was telling me and Lauren was sort of in the clouds at that point. And, you know, I, I, right. I saw him and met him, shook his hand, but like it was Jim Downey was running the day to day. And if Downey liked you, you were in. And I think... I kind of knew from the stuff I was writing unofficially with Adam, yes. like Canteen Boy, that he liked my comic sensibility, that I got along well with Jim Downey comedically. So I kind of just needed to show him that. And I wrote some stuff. The thing I got on the second week was this thing, Captain Jim and Pedro, which was this very absurdist kind of thing. Right. And I think he liked it. I think, and then you were good. I think Jim liked it more than... And then when did you say to yourself, okay, I am this thing? Then. Oh, you knew it. Well, once... I, w- I would have taken the job at Sound Live if I hadn't sold Billy Madison. I did the math, and I said, all right, between I'm, – I'm taking a pay cut to go from the law firm to Sound Live, but I did get – I think I got hundred grand for doing Billy Madison. Right. It was and just an outright scripts. And I said, that's enough to make this work. That's enough to throw away a promising <laughs> law, law career. career. And, and, make and then you work. felt comfortable there doing it, being somebody who had to be funny professionally. Yeah, I, I went right into it. 
It was, it was, and you've never looked back. I mean, you're glad yeah. that you made this choice. In retrospect, you know, I, I got engaged to my wife that Valentine's Day. Right. And then the next month, I get a tryout at SNL. Right. February and then March, you're and at SNL. SNL. And then that summer, I'm gone to Toronto shooting Billy Madison. So Did my, she come visit you? Yeah. But did she know this was your dream? I mean, she had to know this was your dream. She thought I was. At that point. She, she, Crazy? She was completely 100% supportive. I never got a moment where I didn't think that she was completely behind me, but... Years later, she told me that she thought I was losing oh, my mind. Really? She thought yeah. you were crazy? Yeah. And she stuck with you anyway. Yes. It stuck with me anyway. Got and me. you never considered moving out there? Well, the, the SNL kept me here. Like, my first year, my first full year was Adam's last year. And Right. And then... Um, when did you become head writer? I think it was like 97, like after so, two or three years. Well, what happened was there was a big purge after... When Sandler got fired, I mean, Farley got fired, I mean, Jay Moore got fired, you know, or I, I don't know, everybody that left or got fired and nobody's sure exactly who left and who got right. fired. Um, you know, a lot of the writers left. Was there a problem that you, between you and Adam, that you hung around there even though he had to leave? You know, he wanted me to go. He did. And, but no, he didn't press it. He and understood. You, why, why wouldn't you go? He, because I, 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 I had a job. I had a, 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 a paycheck coming in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like going out there and maybe doing some movie. We didn't know Billy Madison was going to work. We didn't know, you know. Oh, so he was fired before Billy Madison even shot. Shot? Yeah. So. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was I far kinda, from Because certain... now, you know, it all, the trajectory looks like it was all intentional by him, of course. But you're saying it wasn't. No. I mean, he was, you know, he had been there five, five years feels like How do you let time. opera man walk yeah. out the door? It was, yeah, it was, it was awful. It was no absolutely sense. awful. But I mean, that year was so bad. But then I went from being the low man on the totem pole to being one of the senior writers there with a year under my belt because they brought in a whole new crew with like Will Ferrell right. and Anna McKay and all these guys. I was going to say young guys, but they were the same age as me. But I, I was the old, old man who had been there a year. Do you, I mean, do you, it's, it's weird. You know, you did this long kind of free apprenticeship, right? I mean, in a way you prepared without knowing you were preparing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I took the, you know, it was kind of a, you know, I, I kind of took that, I was so prepared when I took that leap. I was so, you know, so many people have, you know, you get writers together and you hear these stories of struggle and I was a temp and I was making copies and I was just, but I was like a Wall Street lawyer and then I just skipped over to being an SNL writer very. And you never felt out of place in this world? In in the, in the SNL world? Yeah, in the writing, you know, those becoming, you said you're someone who never thought of yourself as a creative person. Well, by the end of the law thing, I was really starting to feel like I was never going to be a great lawyer. I just wasn't that detail. I'm not this. Yeah, I'm not this. I could just feel, you know, the, 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 the yeah. tie felt too sure. tight around the neck. It just felt my shoes. I just, I was, I'd be eating dessert like that. You'd order in food. You'd have like, delicious food uh, come to the office. Like eight, if you work past eight, you could get a car service and, and food. So I'd be sitting there eating my Mississippi mud pie at 10 o'clock at night in, out of the tin. And I'd be like, I just feel my cholesterol going up. And I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer and just some phlegmy dead at 50. You know, I can't do it. So I had to, so I did it. So you made the change. I made the leap. Yeah. And haven't looked back. It was nuts. It was nuts. And if your kids wanted to be in show business, what would you say? I think they do want to be in show business. And you all right with it? I don't know. I was I was down for a while, but then if if that's all they want to do, I mean, what are you going to do, man? If it's uh, it's it's tough out there. I, I give scared straight speeches to uh, to people all the time because it's. I mean, you saw how lucky. I mean, I, I was. I mean, the way things worked out. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but it was in you the whole time. It was nuts. You'd have been miserable if you didn't figure it out, probably. You know the moment you talk about again the moment I was. You, you know, where I felt like the dream had, I was, I was in a, it was a head writer at this point. And at yeah. this point, I still didn't, you know, well, I still felt a little, not out of place, but like. Uh, an imposter? 
things had happened so fast that you it felt- was more the, less the getting the job at Senate Live because that was I was ready for that. It was becoming the head writer so quickly. Right. Where, where I was like, what am I? You know, I've gone from two years ago I was watching the show and now I'm helping determine what gets on the show. You know, it was crazy. Yes. And I was uh, at Wednesday night they do the read through and they bring people in. They Adam, I mean Lauren and the host um, talk. And then they bring in some other producers. Right. And it's it's kind of a, a political game. Who's the first person in with Lauren and the host? So I get in there. This is, you know, I think I've just been head writer. Who's the host? Sting. Right. Oh. So, and, and I love the you police. You love the police. Love Synchronicity t-shirt. So yeah. huge. I'm, and this is a moment of synchronicity. I'm, I'm intimidated. So, so Lauren and Sting are arguing about something. You know, gently, you know, but they have a difference of opinion about a sketch that, that Sting wants on and right. Lauren doesn't. So. So Lauren takes, you know, and, and to his credit, he he didn't, we didn't have to say yes. We didn't have to do what Lauren, he honestly wanted our opinion. He goes, Tim, what do you think? And I said, I'm with Sting. And at that moment, like the moment that passed my lips that I said, I'm with Sting, I realized, oh my God, I just said, I'm with Sting in a sentence. Ah. It makes total sense that I said that. Ah. And so then Sting, I'm, I'm sitting behind Sting on a couch. He's sitting in the chair raises his his hand in the air and puts like his palm up behind his back for like the behind the back high five slap before sting does that for me and i give him the you know uh which lauren that did piss lauren off a little bit. we shouldn't be high-fiving about uh, not liking his ideas but i mean that i mean i never felt so in show business in that moment what a what an incredibly inspiring story i mean people ask all the time about this stuff and you know you kept doing it for no reward other than you needed to do it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, and then you're like a modern day jazz man. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. I'm sorry you missed uh, the Mets game, but I'm really glad uh, that you did this. Tim Hurley, uh, you're what, Mr. Hurley on Twitter? Uh, Mr. Tim Hurley on Twitter. Follow Mr. Tim Hurley on Twitter. Uh, I'm Brian Koppelman on there. Uh, Thanks for listening. See you soon. Oh, oh, I, I made us. I made us sit back down after we left because I mentioned the Hurley Boy sketch uh-huh. when we started, and I just want you to, for the record, do you do you say that no part of that had anything to do with you? No part of it. It was just it was pure. Uh, chose my name was chosen as as kind of a a tip of the hat. Were you on the show at that point? No, that was before I started on the show. You were sitting at home. So you're saying you never tried to convince anybody to let you give their grandmother a bath? No, my brother's convinced it's about him. Which okay, is- what do you mean? Because my brother's kind of like his hair was kind of like the Harley boy hair, and he wore shirts like that. And <laughs> so okay, he... so there is a there's a reason. No, I think my brother's insane. I don't think it's. Have you ever asked brother. Adam? Yeah, he says it's not about me. Of course, it's you know I my hair. So you know there may have been like a, beyond a a maybe like a physical thing that it looked kind of like I did wear goofy shirts like that. That is, you know, I'm wearing one today. I'm wearing a, a check shirt. Yes. Uh... Because I assert that something in you screams, let me give your grandmother a bath. Let me give your grandmother. It's one of my favorite things, and it's, it's, it's embarrassing to say, what's your favorite sketch? The Hurley Boy. Oh, it is, right? All right, that's all I want to know is that you do love the Hurley Boy. Yes, I do. It is one of my all-time favorite sketches. Mine too. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.